0: So in the You Ask For It sermon series, um, we polled you and said if you could hear one sermon on any topic, what would it be? Um, Today is the top vote-getter. A lot of you said you wanted to hear a sermon about evil. Um, What is evil? How do we deal with it? What's the relationship between uh, evil and good? Or the battle between evil and good for our heart, mind, and soul? Um, one of you said, well, why do we use dark as a symbol of evil and light as a symbol of good? Um, and recommended Barbara Brown Taylor's book. So, uh, evil was the top one. Um, if you're like me, you became interested uh, when you were a kid, interested in evil, um, or at least affected by it. I, I was seven. Uh, when I was seven, Saturday mornings were bliss. Saturday morning cartoons, um, cinnamon toast, uh, Captain Crunch. I mean, it was awesome uh, all morning. Uh, But the blissful Saturday morning ran hard and fast into frightening Saturday noon. Uh, Every Saturday at noon, morning cartoons gave way to a show called the Shock Theater and my sinister older brother he insisted that every Saturday at noon we watch the Shock Theater and it was scary stuff it was not for the faint of heart which I was the classic monster movies there were the monster movies monsters I had never heard of before. You can imagine me sitting on the couch, completely wrapped in a blanket, peering through the cracks in the blanket. It messed me up. And just to know how sinister my older brother was, then he would sneak into my room, his kind, innocent, warm-hearted little brother's room at night and he would hide behind the door and he would wait for me to come into the dark room and he would pounce and he would scream and I was traumatized. So there was this ritual every night um, before going to sleep. I had to check under the bed. I had to check in the closet. Um, I would be laying there and I would shout down the stairs to my mom and dad for a cassette and they would play it. Neil Diamond, Simon and Garfunkel, they calmed my seven-year-old soul uh, and they would sing me to sleep every night. You know, it's a different thing um, when we get older. This uh, interest in evil or curiosity. I uh, had a seminary class, and it was a, it was a small class. It was a conversation class. We would oftentimes bring in verbatim's for a visit at the hospital or um, some kind of paper to put in the middle of the room and then have conversations about it. There was uh, one woman who was a, a, a part of this class, and. I could tell that she had, she had some serious uh, struggles going on. Well, she presented a paper um, and uh, introduced us to the topic um, of evil. And she talked about how all of us as Christians are in this uh, supernatural battle against evil, against Satan and his demons. Um, well, our professor, Uh, He pushed back on this and I mean he argued about uh, the possibilities uh, and said there are no possibilities. (laughs) Like Satan isn't real. He even began talking about the the heaven and hell conversation and his convictions about that. um, Pushing all of us and challenging all of us. Well, she pushed back and she began to tell this story that literally sent chills down my spine she talked about how she lived in California and uh, she was involved in this church and that the, the pastor's wife uh, got her, uh, lured her, she said, into like witchcraft and the occult and, and new age. She said for, for six to eight months, her, her life was completely controlled uh, by this, this evil power. She said that her life fell apart Uh, that a darkness overcame her and that suicide was just always a very real option for her. And finally, she reached out for help and she got out of that situation. But she said it took years for the healing process to even begin. And you know, it just seemed like the healing process was still something that was needed. And so, wisely, our professor took off the theologian's hat and our conversations became very pastoral. But the question it it still lingered. It was heavy in the room. As we had heard her stories, um, this question about evil and its presence in our lives and exactly what is it? So the language of evil is throughout the Bible. Jesus talks about it a lot. In fact, his, his two famous prayers, the Lord's Prayer that we all say every Sunday uh, and also his, his great prayer in John 17 for His disciples. In the Lord's Prayer, we pray every week, every week deliver us from evil um, or the evil one, it can be interpreted. Uh, when Jesus is praying for His disciples in John 17, um, He says, Lord, protect them from the evil one which can also be translated, protect them from from evil. So the the Greek word is poneros, and it's most often translated evil, uh, 64 out of the 70 or 80 times that it appears in the New Testament. It's translated evil, but it also means base or vicious or wicked. Uh, The Hebrew word ra, which means evil, it comes from the root meaning to spoil um, or to break into pieces, being broken to the point. Uh, that you're worthless. And this this word binds together the evil deed and its consequences. So, I, I chose our, our text today from the book of Revelation. You know, the book of Revelation is a, re- is a really interesting book. It's apocalyptic. Uh, John is on the island of Patmos. Um, he's in exile and, and he has visions. And um, the visions can be really out there. Uh, 10 headed beasts and this and that. Uh, but in our text in Revelation 12, it says, War broke out in heaven. Like, think about that for a minute. War in heaven, It's not typically what we think about. When we think about, uh, I'm going to go to heaven when I die, uh, we're thinking blissful thoughts. But there was a battle going on. Michael and his angels, and I've seen statues of Michael and the warrior angels, and, and they're pretty awesome to uh, t- to look at and to wonder about. And so Michael, uh, the archangel and the warrior angels, they, they fight against the dragon. The great dragon, John says, that ancient serpent, the devil, Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. It's the perf- personification of evil itself. And you know, we use this word sometimes and we say, well, this is evil and that is evil. Um, And we wonder, what exactly is it? And I don't know. Maybe it's tough to just really put a finger on it. But sometimes we sense it. Sometimes it's frightening. Um, Christopher Rowland, who is a a New Testament scholar and, and who wrote a commentary on the book of Revelation, he says, Satan symbolizes that which stands between humans and the divine presence. And I think that's at the heart of it especially when we understand that that's what God wants more than anything else, is for us to be together and to be present. He says, the personification of evil as a dragon or a serpent, or Satan as a dragon or a serpent, is a sign of the reality of evil. And as Revelation indicates, the manifestation of Satan's power is complex. It's institutional, and it's social, and it's also personal. And I think those are the things that we tag or name as evil is when we see it or feel it in a person or in ourselves, uh, when, when we see it in society. Uh, it's systemic. You see the darkness of things uh, like slavery and racism and the horrors of war, uh, the unbelievable things that a, a human person um, can, can do to another. So the beast uh, is, is a concrete embodiment of this evil power. And so in, you know, the you ask for it question, um, the the question is what can we do about it? How do we respond to evil? Well you know the Apostle Paul writes a a letter to the Galatians, um, excuse me, Ephesians, the the church in Ephesus. And in Ephesians chapter 6 he talks about um, our, our battle. Um, th- this might be familiar to you. Uh, Ephesians 6:12. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so he says, therefore, like this is our, our, our battle is against this. Uh, therefore, we need to put on the whole armor of God. Do you remember that? I just remember you know, being um, uh, in, in Sunday school and as a kid, um, singing the songs and talking about the, the armor of God that we put on. Uh, but what Paul says um, in, in this is we, we, we start with the belt of truth. And I found that to be very interesting. You know, the, the belt, especially if you're wearing some kind of robe, like you gird up your loins, you know, with the belt, it's like... Um, you do that to get ready. You do that if you're going to, if you're going to move and, and, and uh, run and and have freedom. And it's, it's the, the starting point. You gird up, you gird up your loins and that's the foundation. And the foundation is truth. You know, truth is, truth is getting real with people. The truth is about removing our masks and, and being able to be who we are. I'm, I'm having it a genuine relationship with you, but I'm not having a genuine relationship with you if truth is not at the center of it. Uh, There has to be truth telling. Uh, Truth before God and truth before each other, uh, those are prerequisites for intimacy, uh, for the kind of relationships that we're after. And So the dragon who wants to destroy community and just isolate us, uh, the dragon wants to destroy intimacy. And so if I'm not honest, if I'm not a truth teller, so if I tell lies to you and if I tell lies about you, well then I'm, I'm undermining even the possibility of us having a relationship because you're not going to trust me. Um, therefore you're going you're gonna to be guarded. So, um, you know, you can love me because love is a verb, you can do nice things for me, um, but you can't really be my friend. Liars are lonely people. And I believe, surely, certainly, anybody that's in the dragon's lair is going to be overwhelmed with the icy chill of loneliness. And so, uh, truth is about exposure. And so, we uh, expose the darkness with the light. Uh, Exposing the darkness to the light diffuses all kinds of evil. Uh, So, truth and honesty. Um, that's how we get at it. Uh, the second thing that, that Paul says is, is the breastplate, like this piece of armor, the breastplate of righteousness. And so we're committed to God's way, which is the righteous way. Um, but you notice like the, the, the breastplate, it protects the vital organs. Uh, one of my favorite uh, verses in the Bible is Proverbs 4:23. It says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it, uh, flow the springs of life. Now, in the beginning of the book of Revelation, um, Jesus is uh, sending these letters to the seven churches of Asia. And it's really interesting reading. It's in, in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. And he, uh, to each of the churches, the seven churches in Asia, he, he affirms them for certain things. And then they say, Well, I've, I've got this against you. Well, in, in Revelation chapter 2, there's this church that's doing all kinds of good stuff. Like their, their, their works, their toil, their patient endurance, they're intolerant of anything that's evil. I mean, they've really got this going on. Uh, they're suffering in Jesus' name. They're not growing weary. Like they're strong. It's this church that's this real picture of strength. And yet Jesus isn't pleased with them. And he says, uh, I have this against you uh, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. You've lost your first love. And so the solution is remember, repent, do the things you used to do uh, when, when you're in love. Like, have you ever been, you know, like you, you've been in love with someone and um, just the, the excitement and, and the, the passion, uh, the way that you felt, it, it impacted the way that you acted and the things that you did. When I was in college, we had this a professor, uh, a professor of Old Testament. And he would tell us in class about how he would, he would, get up on a Saturday. He would spend a Saturday going off to the college golf course with his Bible and he would just all afternoon read through the whole book of Isaiah. And he was like giddy about it. Um, and we just thought this guy was nuts. He was just like this, this silly, uh, nutty guy. Uh, but, but I know what that silly look was about now. It was a lover's thing. He had this passion about... Uh, being in god 's presence and, and about loving God well i I wonder about my intimate times with God. Do I have that kind of passion? Am I guarding my heart in that way? Am I chasing after God or am I chasing after things that are that are worthless there 's evil lurking behind that, uh, going down the wrong path is is my um, most intimate times with God? Like, are they a a distant memory? Is God pleased with my relationship? Um, Sometimes our answers can be disturbing. Uh, Eugene Boring said something interesting as I was studying about this passage from Revelation. Uh, He said, although John uses mythological language, there's a sense in which John has reversed the order of myth as understood in the pagan world. He says, there, earthly history is only the byproduct of events in the heavenly world among the gods. In Revelation, the scene of God's saving activity is on the earth in the life of Jesus and the lives of Christians. The incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, the testimony of Christians happens on earth and that results in the defeat of the evil powers in the transcendent world. So it's like we have a role to play in this. Albert Schweitzer, um, in his declining years, um, he shared his philosophy when this reporter, I think kind of probably asked him our same question, a reporter asked about the world's distress. And this was Albert Schweitzer's response. No matter how great the evil of the world, I always hold firmly to the conviction that each of us can do something to bring some portion of that evil to an end. So it's like Michael and the angels, the warrior angels, who fought against the dragon. Like, we need to do the same thing. That's what happened at Pentecost. God turns the church loose on the world. The church bursts through the gates of hell and brings the light of the gospel. And so when I think about uh, what that looks like, I think there's beauty in uh, the simple things that we can do. Uh, Tony Campolo tells a story about his father um, that I think is a good uh, answer to the question. So when his his father uh, came to the United States uh, from Italy uh, when he was a kid, uh, newly arrived, uh, he spent the the summer evenings gleaning beans in the field. The the people who owned the bean fields um, would allow him and, and others like him to pick the beans that hadn't been picked, you know, the gleaning of the fields after the, the picking had been done. And they could sell them in the roadside stand um, to make some money. And, and that's what his, his father was due. Uh, it was hard work, but like he needed money to have a decent place. And he needed extra money um, from, from his other job uh, to buy enough food and stuff. So one evening while he was picking the beans, um, he looked up and way down the row was this gigantic African-American man who was also picking beans. And this guy, he was picking fast, picking on each side of the aisle. Um, and it was, it was really discouraging to him because he knew uh, that in no time at all, there would be no more beans to pick. And so he was exhausted, he was discouraged, and he just sat down on the ground and he had his bucket, empty bucket, in between his legs, and he just watched uh, as, as this man uh, quickly uh, picked the beans and, and moved towards him. The, the black man gets there, stops right in front of him, smiles at him, dumps his bucket of beans into Tony Campolo's uh, father's bucket. And then he, he says to him, smiling, Someday, when you see someone who is tired and needs some help, Remember what I did for you, and you do it for them. He said his father never got caught up in the racism of the 1930s and the 1940s. He never got caught up in it because every time he saw an African-American person, he remembered this gigantic man who showed him such kindness. And it changed him. It transformed him. It's like it cut evil off uh, before it even had a chance to grow. And so, of course, that's what he, he taught uh, his son, uh, that there's good and bad in, in everyone. Loving kindness is a trait that all Christians should exhibit. And when it's lived out, uh, it breaks down the barriers that divide people and it causes dark things to happen. And so, uh, there, there's hope in this for me, in this apocalyptic story from the book of Revelation because the dragon is thrown down the dragon is defeated and evil is no more Amen